with issue for all women. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to our fourth Zoom cast, which, and I know we're biased, is an absolute doozy. So I'm not going to wang on, I'm going to crack on. I'm Mickey Noonan, and our first guest tonight is Rachel Paris, comedian, improviser, actor, musician, Jane Austen stan and show stealer on BBC Two's The Mash Report. Rachel, hello. Hello. Thanks for using the word stan as part of my introduction. It makes me feel like I'm very cool. You are very cool. And I am a Jane Austen stan. (laughs) You had a, a crunch corner for breakfast. I don't think it gets cooler than that. I'm not I'm not sure that's cool. I think it's <laughs> refusing to change food habits from when you're five years old. I would like to know, Rachel Paris, what it has been like filming the Mash Report during these weird times. So strange and hard. <laughs> but harder for other people like on the production team. So I think it was a real challenge. We knew it was gonna happen about two weeks before it started. The writing process was not completely dissimilar it's just writing at home instead of writing in the office oh but also the fact that the entire series was definitely going to be about covid that was a bit of a challenge but in terms of like filming it learning it so they just sent a camera and microphone and various things to my house and I just had to set it all up myself and the lights huge led lights like huge huge led lights everywhere and put them all together myself I felt very (laughs) proud of myself and very practical like an Ikea hours yeah, yeah, yes, but like I would say harder than that because it's designed for like professional lighting okay. people. Okay, I wasn't do trying it. to do you down. Well done. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate. It. Um, and then also it made me really appreciate auto cue, having to learn the scripts off my heart, oh, wow, which I've never done before, and oh, just everything like makeup and hair and all of that. Just you, it just it reduced what I normally do on the Mash Report which is writing and performing, became 5% of the job when you combine it with everything else that you have to do. Yeah. So that was, that was the deal like all the performers had. But then it was so... I know the schedules of the production team and they, they were just... It was so hard. <laughs> it was so hard going from different people's houses and everything. It was so complicated. So and it was a challenge and I learned, I learned a huge amount about how to, for example, set up LED lights. I feel like I missed a load of tech credentials out of your intro. I'm very sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I need to email that from now on. (laughs) Everyone introduces me properly. I'm Hannah Dodd-Levy and our second guest is actress Katie Wicks, currently appearing in not one but two of the country's top-rated comedies, Starlet's Flats and Ghosts, which is currently on our TV screens right now. Katie, Mary looks like a shitload of fun to play. Um, do you think you could do her makeup in lockdown? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? It's funny you say that because about halfway through, they sort of let me, I was allowed to do it. I was allowed to do my own makeup a bit more because what happens is I'd sit in makeup in the morning and it's quite like a long, boring process getting Mary ready. It's about like an hour and 20 minutes. And I, I hate not having to do anything with like having something to do with my hands. So because I'm quite, you know, artistically minded, I sort of said, Can I just sort of get in there and kind of paint my own arms with the soot. So by the end, I was kind of allowed to do it. And I was I was really happy about that. I really enjoyed it. And I had like my little continuity photos and I got really good at like matching up the splodges to be very exact. So, yeah, I've got happy memories of painting myself at 5 a.m. You really snuck in under the radar getting ghosts finished, didn't you, before lockdown happened? Yeah, 
we missed we had to miss one day of filming which is pretty remarkable and um that last week it really did because it was we the last scene that we did was it was meant to be in a sort of plague pit so you know the irony wasn't lost on anyone but they were about <laughs> it was weird like playing plague victims and we had to and it was all about the scene was all about you know who had caught it off who and there were about sort of 20 essays extras in that scene so it just I think that last week it started to feel quite kind of uncomfortable that we were still filming we were meant to go another two days and we were sort of saying look I, this just feels wrong let's we can't so I think we had one day to kind of fit everything in. So I guess we just lost all the little sort of nice flourishes on the the extra bits and everything just became about, we have to just get the minimum to, you know, tell the story. So yeah, we were, we were really lucky and just financially as well to just have finished a piece of work and then been plunged into isolation. I felt quite, you know, very lucky. But I had that, I had the savings. It doesn't look like it was finished in a rush. It looks excellent. I managed That's to good. I managed to hold back from watching it all for a whole two days before I did. Can I just jump in and say I absolutely love your makeup in Stathlet's flats as oh, well. Oh wow. You know <laughs> what it's such a new it's such a nuanced thing, the highlight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean like and, Jamie and I talked about it at length quite a lot. And for a boy he was actually quite opinionated about it. But um because he's what he recently had watched Pop Stars in the original pop stars yeah yeah he's quite obsessed with it and then he at the end he got me a copy of it on dvd so i watched it again recently but that kind of makeup that women had in round about between 2000 and 2005 i want to say yeah yeah with a bit of maybe even ricky lake thrown in like brown lip liner that kind of thing that's that's exactly what we had in mind <laughs> it's so and beautifully the, observed it's so nice yeah I re- i'm really obsessed with her makeup yeah because it's like it's when like she would have felt in her prime so her makeup wouldn't have changed yeah okay so i have a question for everybody um and it's probably a good time to remind you that you are more than welcome to swear on this podcast if you could describe 2020 in one word what would it be <laughs> I'm going to start with you, Rachel Paris. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Mixed. (laughs) Mixed reviews. Um, Yeah, probably, probably mixed in, in some ways. um, So it's my first year of being married. You know, you could say going into lockdown quite near the start of that is not, (laughs) is a bit of a test of a first year Mm. of marriage, but also, it it was quite nice you know we got to spend more time together than we would normally and we've had some really nice times during lockdown in, in a way um as a couple and as a family and we've had some like personal tragedies during the year which have made it on top of lockdown and the complete lack of work that we've got <laughs> pretty awful we're financially terrified and <laughs> personally bereaved so yeah it's been it's been quite quite awful but on the other hand it hasn't it hasn't been as bad as it you would think it would have been on paper we've had some quite nice times as well reads like a three star yeah i would i would give it yeah a three it reads like a two but actually it's a three <laughs> katie yeah i mean i similar actually i i would say complex is how i would describe it because i feel psychopathic saying this but there were some elements of of lockdown that I actually really enjoyed and wanted to want to implement more and keep up. And in some ways, like I had lost so many people 
before lockdown began. So I had the relief of not having to worry about people dying because they'd already died. But on the other hand, like it plunged me into having to like just the, the grieving process in such an intense way. So I just had a very different type of lockdown where I was kind of, you know, there was like an, an a big internal process happening but I was kind of aware that the world was burning at the same time so it was just a kind of in some ways the retreat was was quite good and I feel like I've come out of it actually kind of in a better place I think before lockdown I was kind of a bit at burnout and really addicted to checking my emails and just like everything felt like it did need to kind of stop a bit so in some ways it's been really it's been really good for me, like the enforced stopping. It actually feels like life feels much simpler. And I really, really like that. I feel more sane this side of it. But yeah, that, that feels really, uh, yeah, slightly sociopathic when um, but that's, you know, life is worse for most people. But, you know, I did miss people terribly and that was really hard. But um, there were some strange positives. Yeah. Um, One of the things I found was... Um especially during the intense few months where it was like you can't leave the house you can just go for exercise once a day like the proper proper lockdown yeah was how much I loved um going for those daily walks we would walk for hours just out our front door and we discovered like every possible permutation of direction you can go in from our house like every single direction we're like oh god we've done this street before let's go up this alleyway and the joy of like discovering new places, but also just walking down the empty middle of the road with no one around. Uh, one day we went for a cycle in central, central London, uh, in, down Oxford Street, down the King's Road, Soho, and there was no one. We saw like three people the whole mm. journey and it had this feeling of like, the world's burning, but this will never happen again. Like, yeah. We'll never have this again. And it was kind of yeah, eerie a, and magical. What yeah, a thing I, to I, live through, yeah. yeah. I did that. I went down into, because I live in Cambridge, I went in, down into te- Cambridge Town Centre and I went on to King's Parade, which is normally just a sea of people, just absolute mass. You can't walk down there just in an ordinary fashion. And I got a photo with nobody on it. And it was so weird. It was yeah. kind of terrifying, kind of really liberating. It was just to be standing on my own in a place. I felt like I'd broken in somewhere, even though <laughs> yeah. like a house I wasn't supposed to be in or something. Yeah. It was it was crazy. I really enjoyed the birds singing, like how suddenly it was so clear. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, but it's also like um I think maybe it was Miranda July said this something like when someone was asking her about how her lockdown was, she said it was like asking someone to describe falling whilst they're falling and I thought that was also so true like in the middle of it I couldn't really tell what was going on it's only like Mm. now it's happened a bit that I realize how how it has affected me if that makes sense like in the middle of it it just felt like surviving it yeah it's almost now when I think about it like I don't believe it myself yeah, so if you say to me, if you say to me that I spent like three months shut in my house by myself, that I would have gone, no, yeah. that didn't happen. Yeah, but, and but I don't it, know what I did. I can't remember it. Are you were you by yourself? Yeah, yeah, for for most of it, not for all of it, but for most of it. Did you do jigsaws? Because I did jigsaws. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, they make me feel really aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like them. Once, 
me and some friends went on holiday and I brought a jigsaw for some reason because we were going to this cottage. It felt like the sort of thing you do. And they really sort of laughed at me because I'd sit down to try to do it. And then this wave of anger would come over me and then I would just like shove it aside. <laughs> and I kept I kept going back and trying it and then just getting really like angry with it. So I don't know, maybe there's some sort of trauma about <laughs> jigsaws, but they make me quite angry. I did a little bit of embroidery. That was the closest I got to jigsaw type activity. That was That was good. Really cool. nice. Equally sort of like quaint historical activities yeah. that yeah. you would probably normally not do. Oh, I yeah. love a jigsaw, Rachel. It's oh, just, no, I love jigsaw. I have, I have cats and <laughs> there's nothing cats love better than surfing a half-done jigsaw off a table. So <laughs> there's just no point in me trying. I was going to say, are you not worried about losing pieces because of the cat nicking them or something? I mean, that, yeah, I am now. <laughs> I hadn't previously considered in- that. Instantly, I'm like, that is high risk. Like, yeah. <laughs> Taking the to make the Katie lose it. She's going to lose her shit. <laughs> All this jigsaw chat. Mickey, how would you describe 2020 in one word? Relentless, I mm. think. It was either relentless or just fuck. Um, but I'm going to go with relentless. Particularly when we started out and we're super, super lucky to still be able to work like to to have a house to live with someone that I like and a load of animals that I get on with and have a garden all of these things that were really lucky but just when we cover the news every week it was just heartbreaking and relentless you'll know this Rachel it's like there was nothing else you could talk about even if you were interviewing someone to talk about something else you just ended up talking about covid and lockdown because that's there was what... so much to talk about exactly and mm. it's it was so in our lives there was no way of ignoring it so relentless in just sort of keeping up with it as as well and dealing with stuff changing so quickly and you mm-hmm. know i was supposed to get married this year and that didn't happen really oh i know but you know it's when... fine it's do you know when shifted. you till next year well yes <laughs> till may but who the fuck knows what's going to be going yeah. on in the world? Yeah, it's so hard to make plans. That's the thing, isn't it? I just hope they still allow weddings with at least two people there, because otherwise... <laughs> going to get smaller and smaller. <laughs> right. and like, you can't we'll really to... bring the groom, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only ma- marry yourself. In the yeah, future. yeah, yeah. That's it. That's all right. it. <laughs> that is a whole yeah. shit show, though, isn't it? When you've got a wedding list, which, Rachel, you'll know this. I don't know if you've been married, Katie, but when you've already organised who you like, you, you've done that thing of going through people and then someone suddenly goes, oh, instead of 100, you're allowed to pick 15. It's like, oh, we're never getting married because <laughs> yeah. we would just fall yeah. out with everyone. Yeah. So even much. with even with 100, there's, it's, it's amazing that with 100 people, you would think that's everyone you know. Like with 100, there's still loads of people you're offending. <laughs> like it's really, it's really. I, see, I don't think 100 even covers my family. I have the most spectacularly enormous <laughs> family that, um, yeah, I think I would have to have a. This is why I haven't got married to save the money for the 400 person <laughs> wedding that would be necessary. Okay, that's it, turn, it does turn you into such an awful per- like financially, like you become such an awful person when you're talking about who to invite and you just see them as like a hundred pounds mm. and 150 pounds <laughs> and you're doing the maths in your head. There was a point where because I've got a re- I've got a really small family and uh, Marcus has got a big family and they're all in touch with each other all the cousins they've all got children of children and then he's got godparents and four separate godparents who've all got partners who've got children and they all keep in touch and they all go to each other's weddings and there was this point where we thought we'd invited everyone we needed to invite and then it, 
it sort of became apparent that he had to we had to invite like 10 more people than we thought and I I couldn't even think of them as as names I just was doing that like dollar sign in my head of just like doing the maths on the envelope before even answering his questions (laughs) anyway we had a lovely wedding and we're very lucky Yeah, I suppose that's just put that off till next year. Maybe we'll end up saving some money. (laughs) I don't know. But just like every time they just reduce it and reduce it, I'm just like, oh, well, if Gary can go, then I hope he has a nice day. Um, But instead, we went to feed some otters, which was was really good fun. (laughs) The person who does the ceremony could be remote. You could have someone on a laptop on Mm. a stool, couldn't you? Like the vicar or what have you. Yeah, they're just taking up space. Can I just tell you a story about um, my wedding? um, We got our friend Amy to do the majority of the um, ceremony thing because she's our lovely friend and we knew that she would be brilliant at just being warm and friendly and, you know, you don't know how much you can rely on um, strangers, basically, Mm. even if they are a a registrar. Um, And then you have to hand over to the official registrar for the legal bit. Um, so we did this so Amy had been so lovely just like welcome everyone said some personal stories and everything and then it got to the legal management she handed over to the registrar and there had been some questions they hadn't really wanted us to do this like the council had been like this is very unusual and we don't know if it'll work but we persuaded them so when the official registrar came on I think he was called Graham and he went um good afternoon I am the official registrar (laughs) or and before he could say anything else because it's an audience full of comedians everyone spontaneously went (laughs) (laughs) i felt terrible it's as if we'd planned it (laughs) poor graham he shouldn't have been so cocky do you think he's ever been heckled no i don't think so (laughs) i don't think so You don't get much heckling at weddings and funerals, I suppose. Mm, my my friend recently at a funeral started like hysterically laughing, just like out of shock. Oh, but yeah, she had to yeah. run out. I think that's quite common, yeah, isn't it? It's like, a thing. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. She, she was allowed back in, so it was fine. I was at a funeral that I'm not going to name names. They don't listen, but it just it seems like the, the moral thing to do not to name names. But um, sat next to a relative who was clearly having a hard time. And when the the person the celebrant they're still a celebrant at a funeral aren't they was was talking they got something wrong and she just shouted that's bullshit uh, <laughs> <laughs> but grief does funny things to people so it was fun yeah, yeah. So at a funeral and a loved one so it was an important funeral the guy doing it he kind of he kind of started riffing his own jokes kind of at one point like it was so in- inappropriate and made me so angry to the point where it almost really helped me to cope with the day because I could transfer all of the sort of grief into just like the anger at that man. It kind of like got me through in like a sort of mm. energy way. But he like at one point he um, oh, he did that bit where he's kind of, you know, giving the kind of biography of the person's life that's, mm. <laughs> that's died. And then he sort of he said... And in this year, and talked about like my siblings that were born. And then when it came to me, he he like coughed instead of saying the year as if I was going to be sensitive about my real age or something. Like, what? which is weird in so many ways because a like it's not like I'm old. It's like yeah. it's not mm. like I go but around also, going. Oh, so ask me my age. Like Joan also Connick. don't do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, don't do that anyway. And like it was a really 
like heavy funeral. Everyone down the, the first two rows were in bits. It was so misjudged. So then when I went up to say something, I, and he, also, he didn't give me much space. He stood really close to me. So I kind of slightly elbowed him, like out of the way. Fair enough. So I could like give my eulogy. And then I sort of said, it was actually really like mean. It was really childish of me. But I said, oh, um, in case you didn't hear it, I was born, this was the year I was born. Like I just repeated yeah. it as if I hadn't even noticed it was a joke. It was very like, um, yeah. I just tried to make the point like that. Is, that wasn't funny, and that wasn't. Yeah. What no, are you up, what are you up to? Like, yeah. I'd rather everyone know what year I was born. It was like it's important. It's like this person's life. It was so strange and misjudged. And what a yeah, I, I thought about it for about three days afterwards. It was I got really juiced up about it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. That's just bizarre. It's bizarre behaviour. Yeah. So inappropriate. I sometimes wonder if in in person like funerals weddings but especially funerals and that the celebrant or vicar or whoever it is whether it's religious or not like if sometimes they think um that that bland is the worst case scenario Mm. but actually I think neutral and fine is better than full of character and jaunty and oh what an interesting take on the funeral service (laughs) like just do it bland Yeah. yeah Wish I'd met him, that kind of thing I hear quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, you Well, they're dead. You did <laughs> so your you dad's service, didn't you? Yeah, I did do, because he... Oh, did you? Yeah, well, he the only thing that he'd actually said about a funeral was that um, he didn't want a fucking priest, and that was literally <laughs> it. <laughs> we'd had a, he died uh, end of November, so it was like it was a real pile-up of deaths at that time of year. Um so it was really hard to find a someone who wasn't a priest, so a, a celebrant. Um, and they said, well, it's going to have to be a priest then, because it has to be. Otherwise, we were going to have to not bury him for like two months or something. So I said, well, actually, well, the guy, the, the the undertaker said, I was just wondering if there's that's life who's used to public speaking. <laughs> everybody in the room just turned around and stared at me. And I said... I'll do that then. Um, so, yeah, how, I did how MC was it? Was my dad's it, was it funeral. hard um, to get but, through or did you find it? No, it was actually pretty easy, to be honest, because it was, uh, it felt like a useful thing to be doing. Yeah. Um, as in, uh, I now don't have to live with the guilt that he had a priest who didn't know him talking mm-hmm. about him mm-hmm. at his funeral when he didn't want it. So, yeah, it, as a sort of, it was the right thing to do. It did actually make it a bit easier. Yeah. I quite enjoyed it. I had a conversation with Angela Barnes not that long ago about funerals because I did mine and I think I think she might have done her dad's. And she also said that her, her dad had been really into motorbikes. So he had had a motorbike and the coffin had been like the sidecar uh, to take him to the funeral. <laughs> and normal people, I think, realise that that's actually like a special thing. <laughs> I went, my God, how did he not fall out when he went round the corner? <laughs> And she was like, they don't just wedge the coffin in the, in the sidecar. That's what I it's was like thinking. A, it's like a special, it's like a special sidecar for coffins. <laughs> I was like, one day I want to see that, just a coffin wedged in a motorcycle sidecar. I'm pretty sure that was on Last of the Summer Wine or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wallace and Gromit. One of my neighbours is retrained as an undertaker during lockdown because that's the only job they could get, oh, which wow. is just like... wow really scary and also the, the way they talk about it it's not like they they were really thrilled about it I, I sort of was almost a bit concerned like are you sure you can handle 
this sounds really intense but yeah there was it was like they just desperately needed a job so that was that I have so many questions (laughs) yeah me too so no interest in it before no no they like they they find it hard to find other jobs and then they tried that and they said yes to them yeah and I guess they said yeah that's that's the one thing we really need right now is undertakers i mean this is oh. both terrifying and useful information it's mm. yes. we're all taking mental notes you see yeah. this this kind of proves my point then because uh, the, the word i was going to say was i don't think it is a word but like 2020 <laughs> has been confirmatory for me like things i believe to be true have been shown to be true in 2020 it's been quite illuminating not always good things, because, I mean, I also believe Donald Trump's going to win. And I, oh, God. I'd i really, really like to be proved wrong on that. Mm. But, um, yeah, one of the things they always say, isn't it? Death and taxes. That's, that's the only thing they'll be. They'll always be working undertaking. That, again, mm. is one more thing that has been proved to be true. Did you watch any of the debates? Um, I, I've seen right. some of it today. Um, I didn't stay up and watch it last night because I just I said to Mickey earlier, if I wanted to go and see two old men fighting and telling each other to shut up, I could go and visit my sister because she works in a care home. Um, <laughs> I don't need to turn on the telly and watch it. It's yeah, I've got. Uh, I usually do watch them, but I just I just can't see the point. I don't think it's going to achieve anything. All it does is get all it's going to do is terrify me, genuinely terrify me. So um, I, I, I usually do, but I've, I've not this time. I haven't either. Did did either of you watch it? I was awake actually about two and I did start to watch it and um yeah I mean it was chaos and totally embarrassing and depressing but um it was really badly moderated that was also quite weird because no one was sort of stopping and everyone on Twitter was saying like just turn Trump's mic off because he it was just the constant interrupting was insane it was yeah it was kind of frustrating to watch all of it the debates the tax revelations the lying about covid revelations mm. it was like there's been scoop after scoop after scoop about Trump and you read these journalists who are so excited about this latest bit of terrible, damning information about Trump. And I just feel like, don't get excited. It's not going to have any no. impact. Like, he's no. already acknowledged that he's done some of the worst things that a human can do. And his voters don't give a fuck. No. Why would they give a fuck about his taxes if they don't care about him assaulting a woman? Like, yeah. what, none of it is going to yeah. have any impact at all. It just validates, I think, to people who already support him that he is untouchable and therefore their mm. right to support him. Yeah. In the same way with Boris Johnson as well. I think there's a very similar thing going on there. God, it's, yeah, it's so like depressing. They're a sort of cartoon character or something. It's like it's not... It's not sort of real. It's like people sort of found him charming because of his hair and that he rides a bike. I think a lot of people who voted for Boris and voted for Trump, which is so a terrifying number of people, have the opposite attitude that I have to celebrants and vicars. Which is more personality is everything. Yeah, Yeah. what a jaunty character. What a what a crazy person. What a lot of quirks they've got. Mm -hmm. And And it distracts from how neutral is better. Yeah, it really distracts from how dangerous a person is as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We were chatting about Ghostbusters earlier today, and obviously in the original Ghostbusters, Dana Barrett opens her fridge and it's the it's the entrance to hell. And I think I'd still rather find that than Boris Johnson in my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> that would be preferable. Was that Ghostbusters, the original yeah. or the second one? The, the oh, yeah, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. 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 Hello there. As ever, a big thank you for listening to us. 
We appreciate you. If you appreciate us, there are a few things you could do to help us keep making content that champions women, spread the love and put a big smile on our stupid faces. If you've got two minutes to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Acast or whichever platform it is you get your podcast from, that is really helpful and means that we reach more ears. Obviously, you can also achieve that in a more direct way by telling everyone you know to do themselves a favour and give us a listen. Maybe devote your next family Zoom call to doing just that. It's up to you. We know times are tight as well as unprecedented, but if you do have a bit of spare cash, you can chuck it our way as a monthly pledge on either Patreon, where we're at patreon.com forward slash standard issue, or on the new ACAST supporter Doobie What's It, which you will find on our ACAST homepage. Finally, if you haven't already, please do smash that subscribe button so that the number crunchers can see that you Bobby Dazzlers are excited to have our content ready and waiting for you each Wednesday and Sunday morning. I thank you. I have a question. I would like to know what you are a geek about. What brings out your inner geek? Uh, clearly not jigsaws for Katie, um, but what <laughs> makes you get really excited that is probably seen as a bit geeky? I'm going to start with uh, oh. Rachel Paris. Mm. I, well, one thing I would say right off the top is I think I have a tendency towards geekery quite across the board. And what I mean is like if I'm watching a TV show, if an issue comes up, I'll just google and then read three articles about a certain thing before i can continue watching the tv show or someone will carry on watching and i'll just miss what's happened Uh, or anything that i hear about i'm like "Mm, i can't relax until i have read at least three sources about that (laughs) um so i feel like rather than having really distinctive geek kind of areas i think it's more of a way of life (laughs) <laughs> you're like fact checking your hobbies yeah i do i do and it's not it's not always nice the other day what came up just some random like half thing in a tv show sent me on an internet spiral into like essentially like child murder and i was like i don't really i don't really want to keep reading this but i i've read that and now i want to know that and now i want to know the facts and statistics and who oh they want to write okay so um <laughs> it's not always pleasant but um yeah i do I like to sort of I research things, I suppose, but I do have the the Jane Austen thing has become a, a geekery part of my life. Um, and I never intended it to be. It's not even to be totally honest. I don't like Jane Austen's novels more than I like the Brontes or Dickens or Elizabeth Gaskell. I do like the classics, but um <laughs> I keep being employed to talk about Jane Austen. So <laughs> I've read more of that. And I now do know a lot about her life and books because I've had to do quite a lot of TV shows, especially recently. I've been to her house um, twice oh. in the last week and a half. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's a good job she's dead. Otherwise, that would be confusing. Yeah, it'd be story. weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to do two different TV shows, um, one dressed up in an Austin way and one just as myself. So, yeah, there's the Jane Austen angle. I suppose what I don't have, I think, that my husband has and I think a lot of people have is a a musical genre or band that I'm really hardcore into that I buy all their albums and like there's for me I, I like a lot of different music in quite a general way 
and there isn't really any music that I I love performing music but there's not really any music that I'm like oh I've got to buy tickets to their gig or their new singles coming out or anything like that and I don't know if that's me or if that's sort of my age going downwards like a different attitude to the release of albums like my stepkids don't know what an album is you know so (laughs) oh that's sad yeah (laughs) but um yeah so I I suppose uh Jane Austen the classics but also everything (laughs) the quest for knowledge yeah (laughs) Katie what about you I think I've been on quite a journey with my um geekiness I was just thinking about it when I was little I think I was really quite geeky and then I sort of denied it as I got older. I kind of shut it away in a box. In my 20s, I kind of, it, I kind of went the other way and I just wanted to not seem like that at all. It was like I was ashamed of it. And also I think I've been very influenced by the people I was spending my time with at the time. I sort of was kind of into what they were into. So just in these last kind of few years, there's actually it's because someone, it's like someone... Uh, came into my life who I that sounds really mysterious I just don't like talking but they're very they've really brought out the geekiness in me and now I absolutely love it so we spend we've got really into exit games that I'm which I'm obsessed with I don't know what Um, that is I think it's like escape rooms but you do them at home so it's like this like amazing German company that make them (laughs) and this sounds great they they have not allowed out my house I'm in quarantine (laughs) (laughs) love it they have different difficulty (laughs) ratings from one one is like it'll take you an hour we did one on holiday that took maybe five hours like I was falling asleep by the end it was like the geekiest thing I've ever done I've got really geeky about writers now there's writers who I'm so in love with. Like when I see their name on something, I get so excited about like reading this thing they've written and audiobooks I'm obsessed with. And that's become very, very nerdy. And I did lo- I did a few like online courses during lockdown that had like, you know, homework and everything. And that was like amazing. So I feel like I'm, I'm so in love with my nerdiness now. Like <laughs> it's totally saved me. But it was weird. It was like someone really, I don't know, bought it out of me recently. It's been something we bond over. And in terms of comedy, like we've been rewatching The Office and just, and then spend about two hours discussing it, like in a really forensic, science-y comedy way. And that brings me so much joy. And that's something that, I, I think I thought I was like too cool or something in my twenties to do that. Well, I think um, everyone just you no, kind of just want to fit in in your twenties rather than yeah. stand out. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I just, I guess, I didn't have many female friends that were nerdy. It tends to be more male friends. So, uh, but now it's like a real, it's a real mix, and that's really nice. It's nice having female friends that are nerdy, not just for boys, but even like. My well, my one of my siblings gave me their old PS3, and I've never been interested in computer games my entire life. I've I thought they were just like sort of a bit shit, but yeah, I'm quite into it now. So, yeah, it's like being a renaissance for me. I, it felt like a love story. It felt like we were just told it a is love a story. Bit. Yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> it is a bit of a love story, if I'm honest. Yeah. 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 Hannah, what about you? What gets your geek on? History. Oh, that is true. I know that. Almost any sort of history, but largely anything post uh, oh, so the French nice. Revolution. Uh, yeah. Just... Have you read Five Women? 
Yes. The, the five. Yes. The five. I've just yeah. started reading that. Isn't that amazing? Sorry yeah, to so interrupt. I just got That's excited. Okay. We interviewed Hallie. Right. Hallie came it's on the show. Okay. She's amazing. Oh, I'm excited about Okay, history. I'll listen to that. I'll write that down. Love it. Yeah, she's cracking. But yes, I get um I, I just I'm actually quite dull. I think I'm gonna be the most uh, or That's one of true. the uh, best suited to retirement of anyone I know. Because I'm like, ooh, there's a documentary about the Second World War on. And uh, then I can have a potter in my garden. And that is, yeah, absolutely perfect. I just like learning stuff. And when I do, I can be one of those people that when I learn stuff, I then just have to tell everybody else. And then I've just armed with these crazy facts that I've learned for the day. And then I have to say, did you know that? And then drop in some massive clangor of a fact that I've learned. Um, Yeah. Uh, yeah, mostly mostly history. Not like because I now feel really robbed. Because even though I loved history at school, what we did was quite boring. Mm. Like the Corn Laws and all of that stuff. I was like, who cares? Why didn't we do the French Revolution? Why didn't we? Do, <laughs> we had to do a lot of Welsh like history as well, which was quite boring. <laughs> What's your best history fact about Wales? Well, actually, the only thing I remember is there's a clock tower. I can't remember where it is. I'm really sorry anyone listening to this, but it was to do with um, Richard Llewellyn, the landowner, when they were like revolting against him. There's a clock tower. It's still there. And one of the faces of the clocks is missing. And it was because the locals didn't want to give him the time of day. (laughs) They took the clock face. It's a bit lame. Just like, you know, try and murder him. Do something else. But anyway, (laughs) I also love the fact that the Brecon Beacons is so cool because they put beacons of fire to warn that the english were coming and that's why it's called brecon beacon i didn't know that it's pretty cool thank you katie (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to ring someone up and tell them that (laughs) (laughs) rachel's going to go away and google it and read three articles richard richard crawshaw he was called i've just remembered sorry the clock i just hannah you were saying about history and i was like that sorry yes also I feel you about that, and I've sort yeah. of forgotten. Again, it is more of a way of life, but like yeah. for me, it's not so much TV documentaries, although I like them as well. But the places. So, like, if yeah. I go to a town, I'm like, "Where's the cathedral? Where is the old courthouse? Yeah. Take me there." And I'll read every plaque. Twice yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and buy the guidebook yeah. and yeah. probably a pencil sharpener as well. <laughs> um, oh, I love a national chop. I love a oh, national chop. I love the national chop. I love gallery gift shops. Those yeah. are my favourite. Uh, but the so thing much. you were saying, Rachel, about Googling it, I'm, I'm terrible for that. But that said, some of the best stuff that I've read or seen has been a result of something else that popular culture taught me. Yeah. Like, I read a really great book a while ago called, um, I was probably... 10, 15 years ago called No Cause for Incitement. It's still one of the best books I've ever read. It's about the Jersey riots um, after, uh, in 1968, like after the death of Martin Luther King. And I only know it exists because in The Sopranos, they constantly refer to the Jersey riots and I didn't know what it was about. So I went off and Googled it yeah. and I ended up on this, wow, like <laughs> Tony's been on pause for three hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still there, just frantically. I'm ordering books off Amazon and then yeah. I have to go back to it. So yeah, I definitely do that as well. But it's not a bad state of affairs, is it? If like you're pausing the TV to kind of like yeah. take in yeah. academic information about yeah. something. Yeah. When I was young, I learned a lot of stuff from The Simpsons, I realise now as well. A lot of historical stuff. And that's something mm. I'm still nerdy about. If I'm at home and it's like five to six, I think, oh, I'm just going to watch The Simpsons. Yeah, I think loads of those that like um, South Park and uh, Family Guy and The Simpsons and now like Big Mouth, like, you know, writers who 
with Nous, who are writing things for adults, yeah. really, mm. have got so many references that I would never have got yeah. years ago that I'm now like, oh, now I understand that, or I'll Google it. Yeah. Definitely. I can yeah. confirm Hannah's obsession with history as well. When she'd been through, you know, like one of the worst few months that any human could endure, and she finally got a bit of time where she could have a break. It was over Christmas. She would get a bit of space. And I phoned her to see how she was doing. And she said, oh, yeah, I'm all right. And she'd, she'd spent that time reading a massive book about AIDS, yeah. about the <laughs> HIV crisis in the 80s. <laughs> Yeah. So, so soothing. Yeah. So soothing. Oh, it's really interesting. Um, and, and the band played on, that's called. Uh, it's about a thousand pages. Yeah. I know, because oh, she lent it to me just before I moved house. Thanks, Hannah. So okay. it's like weighty. It's a hardback book. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> you know, it's fun. I read, uh, well, it, this sounds, I know it's not a competition, but I, I did a not dissimilar thing in lockdown. I read a huge book about the history of cancer, which is sort of quite similar. I can't remember what it's called, but it was amazing. It's called the Emperor of Maladies, I think. What a great I name! It's, it's an I don't need to like, write it down. It's on a podcast. Yeah, I think you'd like that. I love that between us, we've talked about researching a history of cancer, AIDS, and child murder. <laughs> it's like got a good track record generally yeah. for upbeat. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I'm going to add to that because the thing I've got most geeky about recently, because I totally like, I've watched The Soprano seven times. If I love something, then I will like obsessively rewatch it and comedy for mm-hmm. ages and the science of comedy totally. And they still absolutely, you know, ring my bell. But just, just the horrific treatment of women throughout history is, it's my jam now, basically. That's what, <laughs> does what you'll find me reading about and getting all yeah. geeky about and, you know, poor Gary can't eat his tea without ending up with his head in his hands because I'm just reeling off these horrific facts and what yeah. horrible men are saying on the internet. So, yeah. My latest um, uh, thing about related to what you're saying is um, watching Nurse Ratchet on Netflix uh-huh. and uh, pausing it in order to Google frontal lobotomies, which they no, do. No, that's when I stopped watching. I lasted an episode and... 20 minutes and then I went no I'm no I'm done with this it's horrific this. I stopped watching the program but Hannah you google that because yeah. <laughs> you'll love the, you'll love the uh, history of actually, it actually I know quite a lot about it because Tennessee oh, really? Williams is Tennessee oh. Williams's sister was given a, a oh, yeah. lobotomy. and uh, so many and also wasn't about. um wasn't one of, one of the Kennedys there was a, a sister wasn't oh, it? It was Rose, yes. Rose think, that's yeah. it yeah, yes. Rose was given yes. one, wasn't she? So yeah. many women were because of uh, them assuming that if a woman was out of control, she was mm. obviously insane and they needed her to be more Well, a, a womb had probably wandered right to the front of her head. <laughs> yeah. Ran yeah. her out of there, sort her out. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah, can uh, you lighten the mood, uh, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Someone do a song. Come on. I can. <laughs> I would like to know what women you really admired when you were growing up it can be women that were around you it can be women that were on the telly let's start mm. with Katie that's such a great question thank you <laughs> I'm glad you've got it first I'm <laughs> yeah it's so weird isn't it my memory so I've got weird amnesia these days my child it's weird that isn't it as you get older your childhood memories are so far away um obviously my mum um was a real sort of force of nature and like, you know, worked two jobs was always just kind of um, weirdly. Like the first person that came to mind when I was about 14, 15, Tracy Emin, I was obsessed with, I think I was, I was a teenager when, um, you know, sensation that 
was it sensations or sensation that the what prompted the YBAs and all of that mm. I was still living in Wales but I remember obsessively reading about that exhibition and the bed and everything and all those artists Sarah Lucas people like that I was really obsessed with contemporary art as a teenager for some reason like my dad painted and he got me into painting at quite a young age and then once I kind of discovered sort of that there was a thing called contemporary art I was just really kind of obsessed with it for some reason so I remember being really inspired by these these female artists who were doing um just incredibly imaginative new stuff that had this strong feminist message. I didn't realise I didn't have a feminist upbringing at all. And I didn't even hear the word till university. And even then I didn't really, I just didn't, yeah, I was so sort of, uh, it was just all sort of new to me. My mum would never have called herself a feminist. It just wasn't a word that was discussed. I remember that was the first time I had a sense that gender was this political thing and that they were, they were doing there was sort of statements being made through for using creativity. And I, I just kind of blew my mind when I was about 14, 15. And I'm still obsessed with her because she's so kind of vulnerable to the point of it being embarrassing. <laughs> like, so her answers to things are so like honest that I always think it's almost, you know, too much. And, um, and I read her memoir quite recently and, uh, yeah, it's almost, it's got spelling mistakes in it that have just been left in. Like, it just feels like this really deliberate um, uh, thing that, you know, she didn't have a straightforward education and she's working class. And uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, the, the, I just remember female artists being like huge inspiration. I mean, Emin's great because she's, she's vulnerable, but she's unapologetic about it. And we're, we're taught to kind of apologise for any sort of, because it might embarrass someone else if we're vulnerable. Yeah. And also, like, someone said something to an interview about, oh, you know, why are you... That they were sort of almost worried for her that she was so exposing herself. And she said, she said, well, no, I still, like, curate it. I still decide. I'm not just, like, cutting mm-hmm. myself open mm-hmm. for anyone that will ask. Like, so it's obviously really been thought about and planned. And that's so admirable. You know, like, I think she's so smart. It's really deliberate. She's, there's probably so much she's holding back which I thought was just really, yeah, a really smart point that she said that. Great answer, yeah. That sounds like people's attitudes to women in comedy often, especially doing quite personal stand-up, which I I do a lot of, and I think women are sort of uniquely good at, at taking something in their personal life and actually being quite honest and open about Mm. it, but making it very funny. And I've definitely had people tell me after shows that they were worried for me and scared for me whether I'm doing personal stuff or not just as soon as you walk out on the stage I've had people said as soon as I saw you I thought I hope she's okay Um, but uh, which is probably the most opposite inducement to laugh actually being worried for someone is the least like because if you hate them you still might laugh Um, Mm. yeah being sympathetic to someone means you're definitely not going to laugh at them and actually it's exactly what you said Tracy Emin said that not understanding that a woman is as in control of her material Mm. just because it's about her life and it's personal and it's intimate you've chosen that really 
carefully yeah it's like that's your art that's your craft yeah Yeah, it's it's not like you're a mess going out there saying oh please someone help me and and I feel like so there was that period of time where so many men were being rewarded for really vulnerable stand-up where you'd get to the end and it'd be like anyway and then I guess they died and everyone's like woo and then you know or they sort of say and then I realized this thing about myself like I got so like, bored of that, like, <laughs> and here comes the sort of twist where it gets really sad and the lights yeah. change. Mm. And um, yeah, it's like different rules when women do that, isn't it? It's kind mm-hmm. of like, oh god, so fun! What a mess! Oh, don't like tell oh, me god. that. It's a bit like the hysterical thing. Like, oh god, yeah, yeah. she's over, she's overwrought. God, it really <laughs> is. She'll be sharing this. She'll regret this later. And it's like, no, I won't regret it. I didn't regret it the thirty-five times I performed it identically <laughs> yeah. in this tour. <laughs> yeah like especially if you're inadvertently being sort of um like if you're being sort of critical of of men as well it's sort of it's doubly uh, inciting response isn't it from twitter mm. like you know if part of your pain was at the hands of a man and you talk about that then it feels really like you've got an extra layer of misogyny to get through on top mm. definitely yeah yeah, yeah. Rachel, which women did you admire growing up? Uh, when I was an actual child, I um, mm. I really liked quite a lot of my teachers. Actually, I, I loved school. I was that girl. And no way. Uh, <laughs> who'd have thought? Um, and uh, there was one teacher in particular when I was, I suppose, eight. Um, for two years, because uh, they you sort of repeated a year. It called Mrs. Holt who just seemed the most brilliant artistic. She took us for like arts and crafts and came up with the most brilliant ideas herself for what we could do. And she wrote a joke or a riddle on the board every day and we had to try and guess the answer. And she just, everything we did, there was always a artistic element to it. Like her her jewellery and her hair and makeup and her whole styling and the way she talked to us just seemed so free and easy and not like other women different to like my family or the other mums kind of thing like mm. she seemed so and she was a mum as well um but she just seemed I don't know different and freer and cooler and more androgynous as well like so in you know obviously like in the 80s and just the the mere fact that she wore like big baggy artist shirts and trousers you know which is such a little <laughs> a little thing but, you know, in compared to the other teachers in my school in Leicester, it was like, I don't know, cool. So she was, she, I definitely admired her at the time. I just thought like she was just my favourite teacher, but she was, she was very cool. Um, and then I suppose as I got older, like in my teenage years, I do remember like noticing that I only listened to female singer songwriters and thought they were very cool. So my CD collection was all Tori Amos. Oh, Alana. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. And even like Dido's first album. Like people take oh, the piss out no. of Dido, but that's a great <laughs> album. <laughs> but um, yeah, I did. I didn't craft it that way, but I I do remember thinking, oh, okay, so this is this is what I listened to, and I think definitely Tori Amos and obviously Alanis like were doing amazing things musically and exploring you know sexuality unapologetic sexuality and abuse and that's you know, the crazy the thing are for women 
about Little Earthquakes is I bought Little Earthquakes because I liked it because it was like musically good. And yeah. then about the 20 minutes into the first time you listen to it, you go, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. It's the same with um, Tracy Chapman's first album. Oh, it's just, oh just absolutely. You're suddenly like, oh, hang on. I think this might be about something different than everything else is about. Yeah. Um, so last night I heard The Screaming, which was my go-to favourite as a kid. And it's all about domestic abuse, isn't it? And yeah. I was just like, yeah. I loved it. And my mum was like, can we put a different song on now, please? <laughs> no, this one's You've just um, um, reminded me. We had a, a geography teacher used to play Tracy Chapman. She used to play the song Fast Car. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we had to write down the sort of push and pull factors of what was like keeping them in their town and what was like <laughs> help them out of the way. Yeah. I mean, that is what the song does. That's really interesting. It's funny. There's a technical name for it. I kind of hated geography, but um, it was like, like Wait, what, are the, what are the factors? I just remember her saying like, <laughs> The push and pull factors that would keep someone living where they were. Please <laughs> <laughs> like had to draw like an ordinance survey map of maybe where they'd gone. <laughs> yeah, it was back. like, well, they have a they have a car, but okay, they, they haven't got any money. No, that's that's <laughs> they've been there. They've been they, working at a convenience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I oh, if I had the lyrics in front of me, I could take you through every port, every push and pull factor. <laughs> Won't have to drive that far. No, they won't. <laughs> Although he hasn't got both hands on the wheel, though. No. Because he's that got one hand a, over her a, shoulder. A pull factor, I think. Mm. <laughs> he was on the pull. Oh, my God. There was, one, there was a song yeah. on um, Tori Amos's Under the Pink album. I think it was called Bells for Her. Uh, yes. The one where she describes, like, basically wanking in bed while the vicar is visiting downstairs all of it obviously like with all Tori Amos songs like it could be a, it could be a metaphor, yeah. or it could be a metaphor. <laughs> but essentially yeah she's talking about touching herself while That's hearing so her parents talking to the vicar downstairs um she's quite quite nice for a teenage girl to hear Tori um, if you're listening where are you <laughs> let's have another album 2020 needs a Tori Amos album I remember going to see her live uh, at the Royal Albert Hall but eight years ago or something and um just people were screaming so hard next to us i just couldn't really like hear it like super fans just people going nuts why do people do that it's like you don't you want to hear the music i I did feel a bit stuffy about it i was giving i remember going to i love regina specter as well i think she's amazing i think people think if you don't really listen to like the albums properly people think of her as very whimsical Mm. and i suppose she is but the, the thing that she does is, if you listen to her songs, she's painting um, a character study in each of her songs. I remember listening to them thinking, oh, she's singing about making love to a woman. Um, she must be gay. Or, you know, oh, she's talking about living in Russia. She must live in Russia. <laughs> she's talking about this having happened. It's like, no, none of these things are necessarily true about her. She's She's always performing a lot of the time as a really specific character in a really specific situation. Um and those situations she comes up with are beautiful and heartbreaking. She sings about, you know, mothers going through a divorce, parents losing their children, breakups between different relationships, you know, different countries' feelings about their nationality. She sings about so many different points of view. So anyway, that's just my fan cast about Regina Spector. But <laughs> I, I went to um, see her at the Royal Festival Hall. And it was just at the start of the time where it was years ago. It's just when people had started filming on their phones. Oh, God. And someone in front of me, and it was seated, it was a seated concert. And someone in front of me put their phone up, only for the encore, to be fair, just in front of where I was. Fucking hell. And it was the first time it had really happened. And I was so 
furious about it and I did make them stop. Well done. <laughs> Good. I got we very opportunity. We went a couple of years ago to see Madonna at um, the MEN and she was about three quarters of an hour late coming on stage. Oh um, and, and yeah, I still had time to shout at people on Twitter who were saying, <laughs> why aren't you on fucking stage? Um, oh, but much. that was all you could see was just a massive phone screen. So that's all there was. Just, it was oh, insane. Just literally every other person seemed to have their phone screen up. And I thought, how are you experiencing this or enjoying this or yeah. whatever it is? Yeah. It's just that not being able like to recognise but... anything unless you yeah. can see it through a screen. The weirdest thing I've ever seen is people filming fireworks. And I'm like, like seriously, it's just there. You're going to go home and watch that later. Makes no sense. <laughs> One removed again from reality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Hannah? Um, well, I actually have given this answer before, but she died recently, so I'm going to just say it again, which is my auntie Tina, who I actually put something about a snippet from a newspaper on Twitter the other day about her because um, she just she just didn't put up with any shit. And she was literally the only woman that I knew growing up that didn't put up with any shit. Everybody seemed to put up with loads of it. But Tina did not put up with nonsense. And when she was in her early 20s, so this would have been early in 1970s. She was working at a company that hired out haulage, big trucks, HGVs. And she discovered that she was the only woman working there and she got paid less than all the men. And she knew that the Equal Pay Act meant that she was supposed to be paid the same as the men. So she went in to ask for a pay rise and they said to her, "Ah, it's because they will have an HGV licence just in case somebody needs to like go and pick a, 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 a truck up and you don't have one. So that's why you get paid less than everybody else. So she booked herself on an HGV licensed training course. She did it in a week. She passed. She went back into the office and she said, yeah, I'd like a pay rise, please. And they had to give it to her. Brilliant. Um, Good on her. And that, her entire life was just... Incredible. And there's a brilliant... Uh, the article that I put up uh, is brilliantly. It says, uh, a budding women's liver, Christina Taylor. <laughs> it's just written... In, the article's written in incredibly sexist fashion, but nonetheless, yeah. it was an achievement. Um yeah, and she was pretty much like that about absolutely everything. She, uh, yeah, she she wow. did not suffer falls at all. That's incredible. How old were you? How, How old was were I? You when when that happened? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't born yet when that oh, happened. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, there, nothing oh. was an obstacle for her. She was just like, yeah, I'm going to get this and achieve this, and yeah. But I did know she could drive HGVs because I saw her driving HGVs as a kid. Okay, <laughs> unfortunately, this has got to come to a close. I would like to know what business you ladies would like to plug. <laughs> Katie, I know you've got a book coming out. In fact, it was supposed to be out this year, but yeah, it's the business. pushed back, isn't it? Yes, that, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, really, I think they just thought with everything going on that, uh, I mean, a few friends of mine have had books out during COVID and we did, I, I have been to a few kind of pitiful Zoom book launches, so I'm slightly relieved. That, <laughs> that, so, yeah, it's coming out, I believe it's April the 15th at the moment. It's sort of a memoir, but I guess quite unconventional um, memoir in that it's not a kind of straightforward sort of linear, you know, I was born and this happened, this happened. And it's not really much to do with um, comedy. It, it's more stuff that was happening in, you know, out, outside of mm. comedy. So it's quite sort of vulnerable and scary. Yeah, it's kind of like essay memoir, if that doesn't sound too pretentious. Does it have a name? It's called Delicacy because it's partly about 
the fact that I've always been told I was too sensitive and why that, you know, should be okay and not a bad thing. It doesn't automatically mean weakness, you know. And uh, it's also to do with, like, body image and food stuff. So it's a kind of double meaning of um, cake <laughs> and also right, being, quite, oh, yeah. being quite delicate. So, yeah, that is quite a lot about loss in there as well. It's scary, but I'm just pleased to have done it. I finished writing it in lockdown, so that kind of kept me sane. How long did it take you to write? Well, do you know what? It took about two years in the end because I I had to have an operation in the, the middle of it. I um I got gallstones and I had to have my gallbladder oh, removed. Wow. It was wow. really intense. Oh, and then also someone died in the middle of it. So that's mm. it. Like the, the, the publishers were amazing. It felt like roughly every sort of two months I would email and say, there's, there's a major tragedy. Um, sorry about that. I'll try to carry on. And they were so compassionate about it. They were like, obviously, that's fine. You know, I think in theory, I, I was meant to write it in about eight months, but it took about two years because of life kept happening, which in a really paranoid hippie way made me think, why does the universe not want me to write this book? <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but it maybe did. it does it now. Did. But it it does. Or it's, it's, or it's, it's giving you something, now, so. to, something to, to write about. your mind uh, on, you know, to write it. Oh, yeah, no, that's true. But also the things that were happening kept popping up in chapters. So that was that was good. Can yeah. I ask you as well? I didn't sell it very well, did I? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like... It's, no, it sounds great. Um, do you have any info on another series of Statlet's Flats? Do you know? <gasps> oh, yeah, well, um, I don't... I mean, I have no idea whether I'm allowed to say or oh, not. Oh, OK, I that's mean, fair enough. It's definitely... It's happening, though, isn't it? It's definitely happening. Oh, is, is, it, is it public knowledge? I think Jamie said it's happening, I honestly don't know. I haven't paid attention. Oh, well, that's good. Well, then, yeah, like, there is going to be more... <laughs> I honestly can't remember if it was an internal email or whether I read it on Georgia. <laughs> um, yeah, there, are, there is going to be more. <laughs> I can't tell you how much me and my family love Statlet's Flats. It's oh. because it's like our family's favourite show, and it's so you wouldn't believe how much we quote it, um, oh, just the phrasing, and so also nice. what an old baby. <laughs> the first time I ever met Jamie I was totally obsessed with him like I just knew he had such a unique brain I was like completely just so enamored with him and I just remember sort of drunkenly saying to him like at parties like you're just gonna like have you're gonna you're gonna be fine mate you're gonna be fine you're gonna be employing me one day and he'd be like you know he was all sort of sweet and shy and I just knew that he'd be you know really successful because he's just got such a great alternative way of thinking so yeah, yeah. it's love it's lush to be part of it it's amazing you're so good in it oh that's so kind oh, you well, guys very this talented. is adorable <laughs> what about- i think you're very talented as well <laughs> you are you know it is it is it is jamie's show and and you know the writing is brilliant but also it wouldn't be what it is without the performances and it's 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 so good it's a very a like great. nice atmosphere it's very egoless everyone's very kind of you know generous as a group yeah yeah everyone really likes laughing at each other it's nice one of the things I love about it as well is the positive relationship between him and his sister (laughs) I know that they're sniping and him and Al yeah and him and like the amount of that these are friendships and relationships built on complete love yeah someone said to me something quite clever like they sort of said you know and let the usual thing you do in a sitcom is to have them rivals exactly, and sort of hate exactly, each other yeah. and that's so that's so true that they're just sort of <laughs> saying oh good for you you're such a good friend <laughs> when he's like, like oh my god you're like james Bond. yeah well, <laughs> when he's like i'd love to live with you you're like a young priest 
Rachel Paris, what is on the horizon for you? Not much. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, I will plug me and my husband, Marcus Brigstock, do a online comedy gig every Tuesday. It's called Tuesday Nightclub. Oh, <laughs> what a great name. Wow. Um, it's through Always Be Comedy. And yeah, we just have stand-up and games and quiz and songs and lip-syncing and everything um so it's just quite a fun club really to come along to so you can buy tickets to that on alwaysbecomedy.com great if we were in fact in front of live actual human beings i would say please join me in thanking our brilliant guests katie wicks (laughs) and rachel paris and thank you so much for listening Standard issue for all women.